The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 8, Of Christ the Mediator, Paragraph 1. It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest and king, the head and saviour of his church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed, and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. There have been some occasions when I have spoken to someone who has attempted to read the Westminster Confession, and they have found after just a few chapters that they don't like it. It's dry and it's dreary and it's not something that they want to spend too much more time reading. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Sometimes any form of reading can seem like a bit of a chore. But for the believer who wishes to be encouraged in their faith, of course nothing beats the Bible. Reading the scriptures will do us the world of good. It is the supreme standard. But in our subordinate standards in the Reformed world, of which the Westminster Confession of Faith is one, there are moments of supreme encouragement to be found in the pages of our standards. Chapter 8, in my opinion, is one of those. It is a chapter entitled of Christ the Mediator, a chapter that is all of Jesus, and in my imperfect opinion, Chapter 8 is worth reading and meditating upon and memorizing. At every turn, with every phrase, there is encouragement to be found for the weary Christian. Paragraph 1 of chapter 8 begins by stating that it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man. I remember in my Sunday school days long, long ago in a little place called Bloomfield in the Gospel Hall there, singing a song about how there is one God and one mediator between God and man. If you'd asked me in those days what that was all about, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. But this opening paragraph puts meat on the bones of that wonderful word mediator. Christ is the one that stands in the gap between God and man. God relates to us, as we have heard last time, by way of covenant. Christ is the mediator of God's covenant 
Christ is the one who even now stands in our place. Flesh and blood are at the right hand of God. Christ speaks for us and intercedes for us. Christ is our mediator and he is the only mediator between God and man. These opening words are desperately encouraging. We see firstly that God's plan of redemption and God sending his only son Jesus to be our mediator pleased him. The Lord did not have to act. The Lord did not have to step into human history. He could have left us to our own sinful devices. But it pleased God to act. And this was, according to this opening line, part of God's eternal purpose. Again here, the Westminster Divine show us that God is not on the back foot, responding to history as it unfolds. God's purposes are from eternity past. And in eternity past, Christ was chosen and ordained as God's only begotten Son to be our mediator. We could spend all day, of course, on that word begotten. It speaks of how Jesus was not created. He was not part of creation. Jesus always has been God. He is God's only begotten Son, begotten, not created. And he takes on this rule as the mediator between God and man. And it is this that Paul speaks of in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul states, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And it was this Christ Jesus that Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 verses 19 to 20, who has redeemed us by his precious blood, that precious blood that comes from Christ like that of a lamb, says Peter, without blemish or spot. This Jesus in verse 20 was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And in Isaiah 42 and verse 1, we are told, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. God's plan from eternity past was to send his only begotten, not created son to be the mediator between God and man. Christ is that son. Christ is that mediator. And as many of us discovered from very early in our days in Sunday school or on our granny's knee, God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal life. We praise God for this. We could have a whole episode on these opening words of paragraph one and what words they are whenever we believe ourselves to be forgotten and forsaken or whenever we are weary and doing good or whenever we think that perhaps our faith is in vain. We read these words and realize that God is for us and he has shown us that by sending his son who laid down his life for us and who today stands for us and never leaving us. As the opening paragraph unfolds, it continues to tell us that Christ in his role as mediator has taken on the offices of prophet, priest and king. The Lord Jesus is the complete fulfilment of all the offices that we meet in the Old Testament. 
in the days before Christ's coming. The church was spoken to by the prophets. In the days before Christ's coming, there was a system of worship led by the priests. And in the days before Christ's coming, we are all familiar with the kings of Israel and Judah. All of these offices were little types and shadows of the one who was to come. These offices are little glimpses of what Jesus would be like when finally he would arrive. Today he is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Today, as believers, we are not waiting for another prophet or another priest or another king. All of the offices that we discover in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ, and he maintains these offices to this very day. He is our prophet. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 22, we read, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. The Lord Jesus Christ is that prophet. He is the greater Moses. He is to be listened to. And so day by day when we immerse ourselves in the word of God or when we gather for worship on a Sunday and we hear the word read and preached, we are submitting ourselves to the word to the prophet, to the Lord Jesus Christ who speaks and we are to listen to him. As we have read there in Acts, there is that warning as well. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Jesus Christ, therefore, is not optional. He is not a prophet amongst many prophets. He is not a voice among many voices. Jesus is the only mediator, the only saviour and the only prophet. If we do not listen to him, then we are lost. Christ Jesus is our prophet and he is our priest. As we know, as we read the Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrificial system was dependent upon the priesthood, a God-ordained and appointed office of men who would help the people worship. Today we no longer have that priesthood. Today we do not bring animals to sacrifice on a Sunday morning. Because Christ is our great high priest, once and for all, and his sacrifice is never to be repeated. In Hebrews 5 and verses 5 to 6, we read this of Jesus. Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In Hebrews 7, in verse 11, we read that in the Old Testament system, in the Levitical priesthood, perfection was not possible. Another priest was necessary. Another perfect priest was expected and longed for. Jesus is that priest. And we read in Hebrews 7, in verse 15, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Jesus is this priest, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this makes Jesus, in verse 22, the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests, says Paul in Hebrews 7, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. He continues forever. 
and his sacrifice is sufficient. It does not need to be repeated every single week. That is why we reject the Roman Catholic notion of the Mass. Christ's sacrifice was once and for all. His blood was sufficient. And our permanent high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, continues forever. And consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Oh, my brothers and sisters, how encouraging this is. Not only is Christ our mediator, but he is our prophet who speaks words of truth constantly into our lives. And not only is he our mediator and prophet, but he is our great high priest, holding this office forever, a guarantor of a better covenant, and always living to make intercession for us, for you. If you listen to this today and you are weary and getting it tight, then your great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek forever and ever, the Lord Jesus Christ, intercedes for you. Jesus is our prophet, he is our priest, and he is our king. We read this in Psalm chapter 2 and verse 6. As for me, says the Lord, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And it is said of Jesus in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This wonderful truth testified to the young Virgin Mary today is manna for our souls. Jesus is that king who has taken the throne of his father David. Today Jesus is reigning and forever he will reign. Yes, we live today when the kingdom is here already, but not yet. Yes, we live in days where we are longing for and awaiting the coming in power of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he will reign forever and all his enemies, including death, will be put under his feet. But we can take great comfort in the fact that even though we are waiting, Christ is still reigning. Friends, today Jesus isn't crossing his fingers, hoping for one day a chance to get onto the throne. Today he is on the throne. He is the prophet. He is the priest. And he is the king. He rules over us by his word. He administers his truth to us each week by word and by sacrament. He is gathering up his people from every tribe, tongue and nation all over this world He stands for us and defends us and protects us and wars on our behalf. Today we are not on our own. Today we have been given Christ Jesus, our blessed, glorious, wonderful mediator and our prophet and our priest and our king. Perhaps as we've read through and discussed this opening paragraph, you can see why I have told you that it is worth reading and memorizing. And yet the wonderful thing is that it hasn't finished yet. Because next we are told that Jesus, as well as being our mediator, prophet, priest and king, is also the head and saviour of his church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 urges this on wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, says Paul. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Here we see that we do not look today to the Pope as the head of the church, nor do we seek an earthly king or queen to be the head of the church. Jesus Christ, our mediator, our prophet, our priest, our king, is also the sole head and saviour of the church. The church belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to us. And we will do well to remember this when we run down the church or when we divide the church or when we seek to damage the local church. It belongs to Jesus. Christ is the head of the church and it is only Jesus who can save the church. Indeed, Jesus comes to lay down his life for his bride, the church. We will speak of that in further episodes, but here we see a little glimpse of the truth that when Christ died at Calvary, it was with the sins of his bride, the church, upon his shoulders. Jesus is the sole king and head and saviour of the church. And as we continue in this paragraph, Jesus is the heir of all things. Often here in Northern Ireland, we hear stories about how families fight and argue and divide when granny dies. Everybody wants to know who's going to get the field or her prized cow or that little clock that sat on her mantelpiece for many, many years. But this statement of truth that Jesus is the heir of all things points us to something greater. We read in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Here again, we see that he is the prophet. And says Paul in this opening couple of verses, this son who God has spoken to us by, he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Ultimately, all of history is moving to a conclusion and everything is coming to Jesus. We could say that Jesus gets it all. Today we strive to build kingdoms for ourselves. And yet here we read about our great mediator, prophet, priest and king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the sole king and head of the church. He is the heir of all things. All things belong to him. All things are coming to him. And if we wish to be part of his great inheritance, then we need to receive him by faith. Because Jesus is also the judge of the world. In Acts 16 and verse 30 to 31, the apostle Paul preaches, the times of ignorance, he says, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus is this judge. One day, every single person who has ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Many of us who have received Christ by faith will stand on that day as part of Christ's great inheritance, the men and women for whom Christ died. But there are many others who have rejected Christ, who have heard the prophet speak, who know of the priest's sacrifice, who understand that Jesus is the King of Kings, but have still rejected him. Friends, if you are one of those people, then please hear the word of God. The times of ignorance God has overlooked. 
But now, right here, in this 11th day of May 2019, or whenever it is that you're listening to this, now God commands you to repent. Christ is the sole king and head of the church. All things are coming to him. He is the heir of all things. He is the prophet, the priest, the king, the mediator. And one day he will be your judge. I pray that you will hear this and understand it and call upon Jesus while you can. The day of judgment for the believer is a day, however, that we can look forward to because we are part of the people that the confession speaks of next. We are told in the next section that Jesus has from all eternity been given a people to be his seed. Here it has sometimes been referred to as the covenant of redemption where the Father gives to the Son a people for his own possession, and the Son lays down his life for that people. From all eternity, Christ has been given a people to be his seed. We see in Isaiah 53 and verse 10 that it was the will of the Lord to crush him, that is Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And in John 17, the Lord Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Here we see this covenant of redemption. Here we see the son laying down his life for his bride, the church, for his people, for his seed. What a thing it is to be part of Christ's seed, to be part of his people. We haven't deserved it. We have not been elected to salvation, chosen because of our works. But instead it is all of grace to be part of this people given to Christ, our mediator, our saviour, our friend. And he lays down his life so that we might be part of his posterity, his family, his people. See, this same Jesus, whom we belong to, has redeemed us, called us, justified, sanctified, and glorified us. It is with these wonderful words that this opening paragraph closes. In due time, it says we have been redeemed. For me, in this past year, I have celebrated my 20th birthday, not by natural descent, my 20th spiritual birthday. I came to know Christ as my saviour 20 years ago in a little bedroom in a little house in East Belfast. In that time, 20 years ago, I was redeemed. And in that time, I was called to faith in Jesus. I remember that night I climbed the stairs, I was going to bed, I wasn't thinking of Christ, I wasn't thinking of the gospel, and yet, undeniably, in that little bedroom of mine all those years ago, I heard God's call. I knew it was the night that I must come to Jesus to be saved. I had this overwhelming sense of my sin, I knew I needed a saviour, I knew I must that night not go to bed without coming to Christ. I was called, I was redeemed. I was justified. 
when we speak of justification, it means that God has declared us righteous. It is a declarative act. God himself has said, this one is mine. I do not any longer hold their sin against them. They are righteous in my sight. I declare them to be justified. And not only are we justified, according to the Westminster Divines, at the end of paragraph one, we are sanctified. We are being made to look more and more like Jesus. As the Holy Spirit works in our lives and as we constantly come to the ministry of word and sacrament, the Lord grows us up in the faith. He is making us more like Christ and one day we will be glorified. We will be with him forever Sin free, spotless, forevermore, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow or sickness or hurt. What a future it is that we have. And it is all because of Christ Jesus, our glorious mediator. I hope today's episode has been an encouragement for you. Here are some questions for you to consider to underline what you have heard. Question one. What do we mean when we state that Christ is our only mediator? Question 2. Christ fulfills the biblical offices of prophet, priest and king. Explain how he fulfills each of these offices and why it is an encouragement for you. Question 3. According to this paragraph, for whom did Christ die? Question 4. What do we mean when we state that Christ is the heir of all things and that he is one day going to be the judge of the whole world? Question 5. What do we mean when we speak of the covenant of redemption? Defend your answer biblically. And question 6. How would you explain redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified to an unbeliever. As we finish today, let me give an apology. Uh, We have been, I have missed several weeks now of the podcast. I'm not terribly sure that there are many of you sitting at home desperately wondering when Scott will get up off the sofa and get another podcast out. But if you are wondering and if you have missed a podcast, I am indeed sorry. Things have just been busy in Woodburn world uh, and I've also been away for Easter as well. But by God's grace, I'm now back on the horse and from now until the end of June, we should be getting out episodes of the podcast every Saturday once more. But that's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn and until next time, this we confess.